0: Well, good morning, CPC. How are you? So good to be back here. It was exactly 11 years ago that this 32-year-old guy that was a little broken and a little beaten up came to join the staff here at CPC. And I had the first of what would be many lunches with John. And uh, what I found here was grace to be myself, encouragement to be more, And then four years after I came on staff, I was sent out uh, to join a different church to be the associate senior pastor at Church of the Open Door, where I stayed for seven years. And now I'm back to be sent out on another adventure. And it is breathtaking for me to be here in this place with so many faces that I recognize that have prayed for me and blessed me over the years. So I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I grew up, maybe like some of you, believing in God like you maybe believe in electricity. That you know it's there when you need it. But you just don't really want to have a real direct encounter with it. (laughs) Amen? And so it was that I spent most of my life going to church and being surrounded by God, but really staying asleep. ...to what God was doing in my life and what God was doing in the world. And I ended up at a little college in St. Peter, Minnesota. And I spent, when I wasn't in class, uh, I spent most of my time drinking like I was trying to win a challenge. Until the summer of 1992 when I was really exhausted, I think, from living like that. And growing up in the church, I knew I needed to do, do, do something different. So I decided to work at a Christian camp that summer. Like most college kids do. And the first camp I applied to rejected me. Which if you know anything about Christian camps. They are desperate for counselors. (laughs) So confidence soaring. I applied to a different camp that accepted me. And I went to the staff training. And I met some friends that uh, I'd never really had Christian friends before. And I met some people that were amazing and gracious to me. And on Friday night, the last thing of staff training, we gathered around for communion. And it was at that communion time that I was jolted by that electricity that I had uh, walked away from my whole life. God met me in a searing uh, demonstration of forgiveness and mercy. That I understood for the first time that God loved me and God liked me. Even in the middle of all my hiding and all of my acting out and all of my running, God liked me and loved me and wanted to send me out to do beautiful things for God in the world. So 22 years ago, I started to try to wake up to God's presence in my life and God's presence in the world. And so I want to tell you a little bit of that story. And I want to ask the question, what does it mean to wake up to God's activity in your life and in the world? What does it mean to actually want to have an encounter with that electricity that's all around us at all times? The presence of God. I believe to my toes, from the bottom of my heart, that this is true. That the God who created the universe is actively involved in repairing and restoring... every single person and every single square inch of this planet to this day. I believe that to my toes. That sometimes in the church we use this amazing little phrase... and I think we mean well, but we say... oh man, God really showed up. You know, after a sermon or after a song maybe... or after an event that was amazing. And what we're trying to say is, wow... But terminology creates theology, if you didn't know that. Terminology creates theology. So when we say something like, God showed up, we're also sort of implying that God was asleep doing something else until we did something amazing. And then God, like a startled grandparent maybe, said, oh, hey, I like the way they sang that song. I'll grace them with my presence. Instead of believing God is always at work. And maybe from time to time we show up. Amen? So what I want to talk about this morning in the minutes that remain is what does it mean to wake up and show up to what God is doing in your life and in the world. So the text that I want to invite you to read with me, uh, I'll read it to you, but you can read along. uh, From Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40 is a beautiful story of Philip ...and the Ethiopian eunuch, and the context is this is the book of the Acts. And so Jesus has died and risen again and has poured his Holy Spirit out on the church... ...so that the church can be built and go bless the world in the name of Jesus... And that has been happening and people are coming to Christ and many, many thousands of people are are doing that. They're getting healed of diseases and sicknesses. But then persecution has come on the church and they're scattered from Jerusalem into all different places of the world. And this looks like the, the, the worst defeat in all of history. But it actually turns out to be the very plan by which God uses to spread Jesus throughout the whole world. And Philip is one of those people that gets sent out. So I will read this story to you and it's beautiful. Starting in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, I wish it was this clear to me, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And those are exactly the places that you want to go, aren't they? No. And so Philip rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Kandake, Queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. And heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. Now the passage of the scripture that... This Ethiopian eunuch was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip was like vibrating, I think in the chariot that day. And he opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him about the good news of Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And so he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And so... As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So I think from this story, we get three ideas for how to wake up to what God is doing in the world and what God wants to do through you. Three ideas. The first idea is this. If you want to wake up, To what God is doing in your life and in the world. The first idea from Philip is this. Know what it is that you do. Know what it is that you do. Know how God has created you uniquely to bless the world. So have you ever been at coffee with someone else? Maybe a friend that you've known for years. And have you ever asked this question? Hey, I want you to really think about this. But what is it that you think that God has wired me up to do that might do good in the world? I wouldn't, that be, that'd be sort of a juicy question to drop out there at Perkins at 6.30 a.m. next Friday, wouldn't it? Or maybe even to your spouse. Maybe to your kids. I think if you read the scriptures, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, other places you'll find out that God has created you with unique giftings and passions so that you can be a blessing to the world. And I think we see this right in Philip. We read at the very last verse that we read that Philip passed through, and he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I think this is what Philip was uniquely wired up to do. And so when he, and I love this story because, you know, Philip is just told to go south down this deserted road like you do, right? I mean, I would pray about that for a little while, right? I would ask some friends about that. Do you think it's a wise idea for me to go down south down a deserted road in the middle of nowhere? No. Well, God told me to do it. Well, you might want to think about that for a little while. Philip just went and then this chariot rattles by hearing this Ethiopian and so the Holy Spirit then whispers what to Philip? Run up beside that chariot. So Philip laces on his Asics and goes and this is what happens. Hey what are you reading Uh, Isaiah? Do you understand what you're reading? And he is just because he wants to explain it to him. No one has to bend Philip's arm, twist Philip's arm, for him to be able to talk about Jesus. This is what he does. It's what he loves doing. And so when the Ethiopian eunuch says, I'm reading something, but I have no idea who it's about. Philip's like, could I sit down and talk to you? Philip will never retire from doing this. It's what he loves to do. So he sat in that chariot and he explained the beautiful good news of Jesus. That that passage you were reading about the lamb being slaughtered, that is Jesus who was slaughtered for our sins. And the Ethiopian eunuch, here's what's so fascinating about him. He had just returned from a journey to where? Jerusalem. This man was not Jewish. He was a eunuch, which means that he was a double outcast. He would never have been allowed to go into the temple at Jerusalem, ever. He would never have been able to even enter And yet he goes anyway. And he purchases a scroll of Isaiah, which would have been very expensive. And as he's clattering back toward Ethiopia, down the south road, he's reading because he is starving. He's starving to be accepted. And God sends Philip. Who loves to explain who Jesus is? I mean, this is how God works. Amen. God, I believe, is doing a new thing, is doing a restoration work in all of us and wants to use the very thing that god that 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 you are wired up to do so uh, as I said seven years ago, I left CPC to be associate senior pastor at Church of the Open Door. And so I preached a lot and led a lot. And one of the ideas that we began talking about was that I would be the next senior pastor at Church of the Open Door when Dave Johnson uh, retires. And he's been there for 34 years, amazing preacher, amazing leader. And But at some point, he will retire. And so we started talking about succession. And as the months led to years, Uh, I began to have a growing sense in my spirit that perhaps that wasn't the road that God wanted me to lead on. And that was really scary because that's what we had been planning. So I brought Dave into that conversation. I brought the elders into that conversation. And um, so, because at first I just felt, well, maybe I'm just feeling fear. And fear is normal, but I need to press through it. And after talking, after having conversations, it wasn't fear. It led us to ask the question, let's go into a time of discernment, Steve, to figure out how it is that you're wired up uniquely in the world. So the elders paid for me to go through this intense life coaching process and what it came out, the sentence came out, here's what I'm wired up to do in the world uniquely. That I create environments where people can wake up to God's activity in their life and in the world. Especially people like the Ethiopian eunuch who didn't grow up in church, who don't understand what God is doing in their lives and in the world. I'm uniquely wired up to create environments where people can hear about God. That's what I love to do. That's what I'll never retire from. That's why I write. That's why I preach. That's why I lead. And so there was a time last fall where I was out on a run and I got a whisper from God. And this doesn't happen very often. It's kind of mysterious. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was a sensation I had in my spirit that was undeniable. It was a jolt of electricity. And it was this, Steve, would you be willing to abandon your plans to be the next senior pastor of Open Door? Would you be willing to start a new church for people who have given up on church? And I just gasped as I was running. So that began some conversation. I went home and wrote this post-it note out so I wouldn't forget this moment. Because the name came to me, Genesis. It means beginning. Beginning. What would it be like for a church to be born in the Twin Cities, a community working for new beginnings in the world? And that little post-it note has stared at me every day since October 28th, looking at me on my desk, reminding me what God is calling me to do. And over the course of time, I started to think about, well, who, who are people that, that um, might join me on this? Because you can't start a church with five people. That's my family. I mean, you can But hopefully it's a little more than that. So I'm a leader and I love to get things done. And people who love to get things done typically are a little love deficient in the way that they treat people sometimes in their desire to get things done. So God brought uh, to me a friend who I've known for years, but Steve Haynes, who is one of the most beautiful lovers of people that you'll ever meet. And already just after a couple of months working together, we've had some conversations where he has taught me how to love better, how to love God, how to love myself, and how to love others better. And so Steve Haynes is this gift, and what he does is love people. So one of the things we're working on is job descriptions right now. It's so fun to be able to create job descriptions. And so one of the things that we're thinking about for Steve is, Steve, what about if your job description was to create environments where people learn to love each other really, really well? So he's our associate pastor. What do you do? What is it that you'll, you're never going to retire from? What is it that you, you just, I mean, you love it so much that it, you, you think it can't count for God's kingdom. It's too fun. Sitting next to Steve is my friend Rick. He's also a part of Genesis. We're about to leave for a sailing trip. We're going to sail up in the Apostle Islands. That's what Rick does. He's a shepherd. He knows how to take young men and form them into really wise men who love God. And so there's going to be about 10 boats. And Steve and I are going to be one of the younger men that get to learn from this shepherd named Rick. What is it that you do? It's essential that you know the answer to this question. So my plea to you would be to ask someone that knows you and loves you, hey, what do I do that uniquely blesses the world by God? Second thing, second idea I think that we learn from this text, if we want to join God's work of making all things new, if we want to wake up to God's activity in the world, is assume that you're always in the middle of a restoration project. You ever watch these TV shows? I love watching some of these shows where they take an old dilapidated house that's completely broken down and then someone is the leader of the restoration project and they turn it into this gleaming, beautiful, new but old creation. You ever watch these shows? You know what I know about when I watch the leader of this restoration project go to work and when I see he or she, I know they love doing this. They love taking something broken down and making it beautiful. I believe this is the picture of God. God loves. I mean, He will never retire from taking broken down things and making them beautiful. So the next time you're having breakfast with your friends at 6.30 in the morning at OPH down the street. You can assume that each one of them is in the middle of a restoration project initiated by God and that you're being invited to join that. And you know what that also means? That you are as well. That you're in the middle of a restoration project. When we hear news booming out of Ferguson, Missouri when we want to hide our heads because we have absolutely no idea what can be done, you need to know that right here and right now in Ferguson, Missouri, there is a restoration project happening and it's being initiated by God. And God is inviting people to join in all different ways. The same is happening in in Damascus. The same is happening in Gaza and all over the world. In St. Louis Park, even. And right here in Edina. Assume you're in the middle of a restoration project. And assume that you are the first restoration project that needs to be worked on. Amen? That'll keep you humble. And I think we see this in Philip. Philip knows he's a restoration project. So he's fine leaving the center of the action in Jerusalem. Heading down south on a deserted road. He's fine saying, hey, I'm not the star of this show. I'm heading down south, who knows where. And then he runs into the Ethiopian eunuch, who's also a restoration project, double outcast. It's about to be one of the first outside of Judaism converts to the faith. We are in the middle of a great restoration project that God is initiating. And the question is, do you know what you do so that you can join it? Third idea, straight from the text, if you want to join God's work of making all things new, if you want to wake up to this electricity that is all around us and actually have an encounter with God, is this, just do the next right thing. So what do we do about Ferguson? What do we do about ALS? What do we do about the sickness that's in our own lives? What do we do about our own sin? What do we do about the evils that are happening all around the world? Well, we can get really overwhelmed by that, right? I mean, that's overwhelming. But what if we just did the next right thing? For Philip, it was just to head south down this deserted road. Didn't make a whole lot of sense, but the Holy Spirit whispered that. And so that's what he did. And I, when I read this text, I, I wonder, why didn't God tell him the whole story right then? I mean, he would have gotten excited. Hey, Philip, there's this Ethiopian eunuch. He's going to be rattling down the road in this chariot. He's going to be reading the book of Isaiah. You're going to get the chance to share Jesus with him. It's going to be really, really incredible and awesome. Because then Philip would have faith in the story that has already been told versus having faith in a God who says, you've got to trust me. I'm doing something new and I'm inviting you to join me. And I want to know if you're in, regardless of what happens or not. I want to know if you're in, regardless of if you meet the Ethiopian Munich or not. So, what's the next right thing for you? As you think about your own life and some of the whispers that God has been whispering to you last night after the service, several people came to me with kind of knowing looks in their eyes and said, My whispers are not like your whispers. You're starting a church. But my whisper is, we just quit our business. We're starting something else, and we don't know what to do, and we're down this deserted road. Well, all I can tell you is that when I was on that run, and God breathed that word to me, and Genesis came to mind, that was just the seed of an idea at that point, and I was so scared And I began to pray about where are we going to meet. And all these places popped up and then burned up. And then one of my friends said, have you ever thought about the Jewish Community Center in St. Louis Park? And I'm like, yeah, you know we're a church, right? <laughs> well, here's where we ended up meeting. <laughs> this deserted road at the dead end of Cedar Lake Road, right by West End. And it is this beautiful home for us, temporarily, this tabernacle that we've set up. Uh, Steve Haynes is the worship leader, uh, among other things. And isn't that a great picture? That's Steve at our first service. And, um, you know, we didn't know how many people were going to show up, but at our first service, um, here's who showed up. (laughs) It was (laughs) packed throughout the whole service, I wept. Not because like, woo, you know, it has to be packed for it to be successful. but Just like, Lord, all I want to do is join your work of making all things new. All I want to do is keep saying yes to the whispers that you bring in my life. Some will get wrong, some will get right, but this is what I want to give the rest of my life to. Sometimes it'll result in a packed room. Sometimes it'll result in an empty room. Success is saying yes to the invitations that God has for you because you are wired up to do something unique in this world because everything is a restoration project and all God is asking you to do is do the next right thing. Amen? Amen. Let me read this prayer to you by way of closing our time together. It's from an amazing book called Gorillas of Grace by Ted Loder. So receive this prayer. And you might want to close your eyes so you can just let this all the way in. If you fall asleep, consider that a gift from God. Oh God, let something essential happen to me. Something more than interesting or entertaining or thoughtful. Oh God, let something essential happen to me. Something awesome, something real. Speak to my condition, Lord, and challenge me somewhere inside where it matters. A change that will burn and tremble and heal and explode me into tears or laughter or love that throbs or screams or keeps a terrible cleansing silence and dares the dangerous deeds. Let something happen in me which is my real self, oh God. God, let something essential and passionate happen in me now. Strip me of my illusions of self-sufficiency, of my proud sophistications, of my inflated assumptions of knowledge, and leave me shivering as Adam or Eve before the miracle of the natural, the miracle of this earth that nurtures me as a mother and delights me as a lover. The miracle of my body that breathes and moves, that hungers and digests, that sees and hears, that is creased and wrinkled, that shrinks and hurts and swells in pleasures, that works by the most amazing messages of what and when and how, coated and curled in every cell that dares to speak the confronting word. Oh God, let something essential and joyful happen in me now. Something like the blooming of hope and faith. Like a grateful heart, like a surge of awareness of how precious each moment is. That now, not next time, now is the occasion to take off my shoes, to see every bush on fire, to leap and whirl with my neighbor, to gulp the air as sweet wine until I've drunk enough to dare to speak the tender word, thank you, or I love you, or you're beautiful or let's live forever beginning now because I am a fool for Christ's sake. Amen.